All right, we're looking at John chapter 14. John chapter 14, as we continue in our sermon series on what is the church? What is the church? John 14, beginning at verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going, Thomas said to him. Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. This is the word of the Lord. Join me in prayer as we seek God's help to understand this word. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this word, the words of Christ, and how he was teaching his disciples. And would you teach us as well? And would you impact us in a big and powerful way, according to the weight of this word and by the power of your spirit? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Yeah, so I wonder if you've gotten over the awkwardness of telling people what you did over the weekend, you know. What did you do over the weekend? I went to church. If you've gotten over that, that's wonderful, good to hear. But I wonder if you just give that answer, like, you know, just like the minimal kind of information. I just went to church. As if church was like a chore. I hope church is not a chore for you, but that you are really able to say, I really went to church. Maybe even be able to say, I had a real encounter with the living Jesus. Isn't that what we're doing right now? What our worship is? We're not worshiping the sky, we're not worshiping the air, we're worshiping God through Jesus, right? And we learned that last week, that we are the body of Christ. We're connected to the living Jesus. We were reminded of that in our first Bible reading as well. Is that significant that I want to keep um, repeating that for us? It's not easy to say that we've encountered the living Jesus, to people who might ask us what we do on the weekend, but the question for us really is, whether you say it or not, is do you believe it? Do you believe that you have a living relationship with Jesus? Do you believe that he's alive? And what we learn from Ephesians, that we are the fullness of his body, the church. So yeah, God is with us by his spirit. He's 
animating our lives. He's bringing us together so that we could be the body of Christ. And we can all say this because Jesus really is alive. We all believe that, right? If we believe that, then the big question for us is, where is Jesus if he really is alive? Where is Jesus? We want to be clear about that. We want to know why, where he is and why, because that will help us to be the body of Christ. So I've got three points. They're really in the form of questions. The first question for us is, where is Jesus? We're looking at John chapter 14. This is the upper room discourse on the Passover night before Jesus' arrest and death. It's a famous passage. We would have recognized a lot of these different um, verses, like about the mansions and about being the way, the truth, and the life. These are like such huge statements that we sometimes miss where Jesus is going. Verse 2, he tells us where he's going. In my father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? The father's house sounds like Jesus is talking about heaven. But for modern readers, some of us, we can be captivated by this word and we think, ooh, father's house, rooms, mansions. I wonder what a mansion is going to look like for me, what my mansion in heaven is going to look like, right? Well, the disciples don't have time to think about these things because Jesus is guiding this conversation. He's teaching them. This is what he says to them, verse 4. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Thomas doesn't know where Jesus is going. But instead of asking, where are you going? He says, how can we know the way? See, all of that is a setup for Jesus to say those indelible words. I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus is preparing his disciples for his departure. And they're confused. Um, so John, John 14 is trying to show us that Jesus is comforting his disciples. They're about to enter into a very crazy time. No one expected the Messiah to be crucified. And so Jesus is prepping the disciples for that in mind. And guess what? No one would have expected the Messiah to be crucified, and so they never would have expected that the Messiah had to come back from the dead. And even further away, would, no one would have expected that the Messiah would rise and ascend into heaven. I mean, this is what is really going on. This was the plan. Jesus is saying this in so many words. He's going to the Father's house, right? Now, we all know that as Christians, if you're Christians, but we can overlook that. And specifically, this is the point I want to make, is that Jesus is talking about his ascension here. In this famous passage, it's all about his ascension. And we may know that he ascended, but that's about all we know. It's like, why did he ascend? We know about the resurrection, and um, that's why we celebrate Easter, right? We know that Jesus proved that death did not have a hold on him, came back from the dead. It meant that sin had, did not have a hold on him, which meant that the devil did not have a hold on him. 
Jesus' death on the cross, it was vindication, victory, and then his resurrection was the, the proof of his victory, redemption from spiritual bondage. But we have to finish that journey. Not only did Jesus rise from the dead, we have to recognize that he also ascended into heaven. You know, from the grave to the earth, but also from the earth to the sky. It's like the song, the youth group song, Lord, I lift your name on high, right? <laughs> from the grave to the sky. The question is why, though? Why did Jesus have to ascend? Why does it matter? Why do we need to know all of this? Because the reality is, practically speaking, it would have been so much better if Jesus stayed here on earth, right? It would have been like living proof. <laughs> Jesus' mission would have been so much more effective if he just walked around everyone. The disciples would tell people, this is Jesus. He came back from the dead. Believe in him. It's really practical, sensible. It's what the disciples really thought. I want us to look at Acts chapter 1 because we're going to be jumping around a little bit, not what we normally do, but for this sermon we are because we're thinking about the ascension more clearly, okay? And Acts chapter 1 um, is the, the second letter that Luke writes. The first letter was Luke's gospel. It ended with Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension. In the beginning of Acts, he kind of repeats all of that, and he gives us a clearer picture, and then, he, and then it takes off from there, okay? So Acts chapter 1, verse 6. Jesus has risen from the dead. He's with his disciples. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken from you up into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Right? What are the disciples thinking? They're saying, when are you going to establish your kingdom, Jesus? Let's get on with that work. We'll take you around. Everyone will know. You're risen from the dead, living proof. But Jesus ascends. He leaves them. What that looked like, none of us know. We don't know if it was fast, if it was slow, how it happened. But the point is, there are two men in white robes, angels, who are telling the disciples, why are you looking up? Why are you looking to heaven? He's saying, they're saying, get on with the mission. You know what to do now. Now, we might have that kind of same mentality like the disciples, where you can't help thinking, where are you, Jesus? Why aren't you here with us? It'd be so much better if you were here. How many of us have thought, I wish you were here so you could convince my family member, my close friend, that you're real? Maybe it's not even a family member or friend. Maybe it's just you. You need to be convinced more. Kind of frustrated with your faith, dabbling in sin too much. If only I just knew. Maybe there's a time you thought, life is just so hard and painful. I wish you were here comforting me. And sometimes you just need not, the, not just the comfort, but just the reassurance that what you're going through, 
It's not out of control. Jesus is in it. You're here. Or are you? So why did Jesus leave? Our question for us. Why did he have to ascend? We know that he said he's going to the Father's, his father's house. He's going up to heaven. But why did he have to go to prepare a place? Was, the, was heaven a little dirty, <laughs> unkempt, that he had to prepare it? So that's our second point. Why isn't he here? Where is Jesus? The Father's house. Why isn't he here? We're going to look at another passage, Ephesians 1, that we read it earlier. It gives a very specific answer to our question. And then we'll come back to John 14. Ephesians 1, verse 19 again. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Right there. It's very clear for us. Jesus was raised and he, was, he ascended and he is seated at the right hand of the Father in the heavenly places. He's at the right hand, seated in heaven. Seated. That's what we're going to be focusing on for the next couple of minutes. Seated. It sounds like when Jesus has ascended and seated that his work is finished. But we need to be clear about something. Just because Jesus is seated, it does not mean he's tired or that he had to rest. He's seated because he is done with his work on earth. He did his work, what he needed to do here, which is to live the perfect life and die the perfect death. But the clarification that I need to make is that Jesus is still working from heaven above where he is seated. See, he's at the right hand of the Father. The right hand means he is the right-hand man of the Father who has entrusted his work to the Son. That's why the Father has given Jesus all authority. You notice the all authority, the two aboves, verse 21. Jesus is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. And then he's above every name in this, that is named in this age, but also in the one to come. Jesus has given the... The Father has given Jesus all authority, all power, so he could continue to do the work, the mission that needs to be accomplished on earth, which would now be through his body, the church. Jesus is seated. Seated does not mean there is nothing to do, that he's passing on the work now just to the, the spirit and to the church because his part is over. We need to be careful of this heresy called modalism. It's where we think of God as wearing masks. The Old Testament God was the Father. The New Testament God is the Son. And then the, the church, that's the Spirit. No, all three persons of the Godhead are at work. What's with the language of seated then? Seated. Seated speaks of royalty. And royalty is all about power. As in the seat of all power. In the universe is with Jesus who has ascended into heaven. That's the sense of the word. It's like the word um, cockpit. See, it's, it's, it's about the location of the seat, not the, uh, the posture of sitting. The cockpit of an airplane. Everyone is seated on that plane, but those in the cockpit, they're the ones who control the whole plane, right? 
You poke your head into the cockpit, see on the left, who's on the left? That's the captain. On the right, co-pilot, right? That's the father and son working salvation in the universe from the cockpit of heaven. The seated at the right hand is the language of royalty. And now we're starting to see what Jesus' ascension is all about. Listen carefully. Jesus' ascension is his enthronement as the Messiah, King, and Lord. Jesus' ascension is his enthronement as the Messiah, King, and Lord. All of that, it's been under our noses this whole time. We probably even knew that. But now, hopefully, it's all starting to come together where we're focused in on why the ascension. Jesus has ascended to be enthroned as king. Let me just give um, two little bits of evidence, brief bits of evidence as to how, how this is so significant. Why do all the gospel accounts make such a big deal that Jesus is the son of David? It's not just that he's the legitimate biological heir in the line of David, but he is the, the promised king in the line of David, right? You may have known that. But also, what is the, old, the most quoted Old Testament text in the New Testament? The most quoted text in the New Testament from the Old Testament. I'm guessing some of us might be thinking sort of like Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all, right? That kind of stuff. But Psalm 110, the most quoted Old Testament text in the New Testament. What is Psalm 110 all about? It's about the king who's on the throne. This is what Peter says in his Acts sermon, Acts 2, 33. Peter is talking to um, all of Israel, explaining what's happened with, the, with Pentecost, the Holy Spirit, in this sermon. And this is what he says. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens... But he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord, Yahweh, said to my Lord, David's Lord, greater king, his son Jesus, sit at my right hand. All that is language of royalty. These customs, language of what's happening is that Jesus, he has ascended to be enthroned as the Messiah, King, and Lord. Folks, that statement right there, I know, it, just, it may not seem like that much, but it is huge. It is huge for us to recognize, so big that we actually have to think about the ascension, and the Bible actually calls us to think about the ascension. Jesus' ascension is God's declaration to all the universe that Jesus is the rightful king taking his rightful place. See, I hope we're starting to see what's, what's going on here about Jesus, who he is. The BBC, um, the British Broadcasting Company, they, they filmed the enthronement ceremony of the late Queen Elizabeth. Um, this was back in 1951 or 53. I, I forget which one it was. But I watched the whole ceremony in black and white on YouTube. Okay, okay I didn't watch the whole thing. It was kind of long. This was a ceremony that has been conducted since the 1400s with, with William the Conqueror. 
So it's quite a, an elaborate ceremony. The first hour and 40 minutes, you, there's a, a worship service in Westminster Abbey, and then Queen Elizabeth, she's sitting there. She gets a robe put on her. She holds the orb. She is given a scepter. The crown is placed on her. All these, it's like full of rich symbolism. But that wasn't the end, because everyone knew what was happening. If you were watching it on the TV screen, they showed you Queen Elizabeth, but behind her as well. What was behind her? There was a stage with five or so steps, and on top of the dais, there was a, a throne. So everyone knew what was meant to happen. All that stuff gets put on the queen. She climbs those stairs. She gets to the top. She turns around. All the bishops of the Church of England, they bend the knee, pledging fealty to the head of the church. Head of the Church of England, that is, right? And then she sat down. And so began her reign. Head of the United Kingdom and the Church of England. Seated on the throne. Jesus, head of all rule and authority and power and dominion in this age and in the age to come. Head of the church, his body in the heavens, seated on the throne. One theologian said Jesus acted as a king on the earth, but now he reigns as the king in the heavens. All of this answers the question, why is Jesus not here? Remember that? Why isn't he here? Jesus has to be where he belongs on the throne, next to the Father, in all power, working, continuing his mission, now through his body, the church. As much as we want him to be here with us, with me, he needs to be there. That's how we have any power at all. We're up against spiritual forces of darkness that would want to draw us away from God. Tell us lies, feed us lies, so that we would follow after these forces rather than following Jesus. But no, Jesus says we could shake the shackles off of us. We're following our true king. He's the primary mover. He's accomplished salvation. He's on mission, still at work, and we're assisting him. And just as he would now receive Gentiles into his kingdom, so now the mission field has opened up to the whole world. In the heavenly places, everyone knows who Jesus is. Now we're trying to make that known on earth. Jesus is what Israel was always meant to be, the nation of Israel. God chose Israel to bless the world. Now God has chosen his son to bless the world. If Jesus wasn't up there, he was down here, he would still be all-powerful. His resurrection proves he has defeated sin, death, and the devil. But he'd still be in his human flesh, bound by space and time. He would be somewhere, but not everywhere. But in his incarnated human flesh, raised from the dead, resurrection body, he has ascended into heaven so that he could be everywhere, everywhere accessible through his spirit and through his body, the church. Grace Church Sanford. Jesus is at work through us. You know the phrase, it's like watching grass grow. 
expresses the frustration of things moving so slowly that you don't think anything is happening. And yet, Jesus can use not that exact expression, but the idea there in a parable to talk about the kingdom of God. It's watching grass grow. When he does it and he talks about it, talking about the kingdom, there is power and there is inevitable excitement because God will make it grow. We're seeing slow and steady work here. It's bearing fruit. Greenwich, Stanford, Norwalk. It's not easy, but exciting. And on one hand, it demonstrates just how difficult the work actually is that we're all involved in. It shows us how far the world has fallen and has condemned under the devil's grip because it's hard to draw people in and tell them about Jesus It's hard. But on the other hand, it declares that Jesus' power is so powerful that he can even work through people like us. Jars of clay. We don't have that much to offer. And yet, together, we're working for something far bigger than us. I might be dating myself here, but Jesus is like the spiritual MacGyver. Do we know who MacGyver is? (laughs) Right? He's like this genius man. He can defeat militias and armies with a pocket knife, a stick of gum, and the gum wrapper, right? (laughs) That's all he needs. That's us. (laughs) That's us. So why is he not here? For very good reason. He's where he belongs as a king in power. And the question for us is, where are you? We're going back to John's gospel. Back to John 14. John 14, 12. This is what Jesus says. Listen to what he says to his disciples. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Do you see how amazing that word is? Greater works than these will the disciples be doing. That's such a word of encouragement to his disciples, and to us. And it only can happen because he is going to the Father. He has to go for us to be able to do greater works. Jesus has to ascend for him to send the Spirit and to empower his people. Greater works. What are these greater works? Clearly, these greater works are not the works that are like greater than Jesus and what he did, dying on the cross. There's nothing that's going to beat that. But the works would be greater because, you know, it's like if Jesus walked around and saved someone, he can just talk to them, touch them, and heal them, and all that stuff. That's amazing. But when we walk around and we tell people, believe in Jesus, they're like, Jesus, who? And yet, some of them actually do hear the voice of God and respond with faith. Those are the greater works that we as a church are involved in, making him known through our lives and through our words, that Jesus is King and Savior. And to help convince us that we're involved in greater works, we would need to recognize two things. We would always need to be conscious of these two realities. First, God is with us by his Spirit on earth, but we are with God through the Son in heaven. Those are the two realities. The author 
Um, the Christian author Tim Chester writes, if Christ is not in God's presence on our behalf, then what? Then we are not in God's presence. Another way that that would be said, it's something that we actually heard earlier in the worship service, but maybe it didn't register in the way that I hope it will now. Ephesians 2.4. What does Ephesians 2.4 say? But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Where did we hear that? It was in the absolution, the assurance of pardon, that when we, were, when we confessed our sin that we were forgiven. And we're being reminded of why we can be forgiven and how true it is. Because we are seated with Christ spiritually. He's ascended to save the disciples and the church's seat. <laughs> and by faith in him, we have that seat. And so again, like I'm saying, the question isn't, maybe it's not, where is Jesus? Why isn't he here? But where are you? See, we all intuitively think, oh man, if Jesus was just here. But the Bible is teaching us to, for us to think, no, we are there with him, spiritually. That's why every week when we do the Lord's Supper, what do we say? Lord, people, right? Lift up your hearts. So, where are you? As a church, obviously, 572 Roxbury Road, Stanford, Connecticut, right? God in his wisdom has brought us together. Some of us have made choices. God opened doors, closed doors, directed, redirected you. We're here. And we need to think our faith out in terms of what that means that we're really here. God is with us by his spirit on earth. But we are with God through the Son in heaven. We know that Jesus is our Emmanuel, God with us, right? Spiritually, he's with us, not physically, just as we are with Christ spiritually, but not physically. But there will be a time, the fullness of time, Ephesians 1.10 tells us, when Jesus will unite all things in heaven and on earth. Let me end with this brief word of application then. Reclaim the confidence of being the body of Christ, the church. Because we know where Jesus is. Right? Reclaim the confidence of being the church, the body of Christ, because we know where Jesus is. Ascended, enthroned. Would we, have, would we be able to see the way that the Bible shows us the vision of God's plan for the world through Christ and his body? See the vision of God's plan for the world through Christ and his body. Would we carry that vision forward? Successful businesses, they know how to uh, empower their employees so that they carry the vision. And that's what makes them successful, right? For instance, Chick-fil-A, executives, they make the employees go out of the building and then walk in through the front door and, and place an order so that they can experience what the customers ought to experience, right? Ritz-Carlton Hotels, their ethos is they want to make sure that all of their guests know that they're cared for. How? They make sure all the employees know the guests 
names. That's it. Something as basic as that can be as impactful as that. In these ways, the employees, they carry on the vision. And for us, I'm not casting my own vision. It's God's vision. I'm just reminding us of it. And I'm carrying it, and I'm trying to help you all carry it too. I give some information, maybe a little bit of inspiration. But it's God who's really at work through the greatest inspiration ever. What is that great inspiration? The Holy Spirit. He inspires us to live as the body of Christ. And I needed to be reminded of, that, reminded of that just this past week. Last week, my sermon, I didn't feel like, you know, it was like top-notch, hitting all cylinders, all that kind of stuff, right? And I had to fight the devil who kept telling me, yeah, it wasn't a good sermon, it wasn't a good sermon. <laughs> right? And then during the week, two people contacted me, how they were so impacted by the sermon. I'm like, wasn't me. <laughs> that was all God, his word knowing what the church is, the fullness of the body of Christ. I thought everyone was just enduring and yawning through my sermon, but Jesus was talking to people. <laughs> my heart came alive because I was reminded that he is at work, even through a gum wrapper like me. <laughs> Reclaim the confidence that the son, the enthroned king, he's at work in his body, us, the church, Carry that vision. Let's pray. Yes, Father, we thank you for your plan of salvation, how the church is the manifold wisdom of God, and how we can come to understand it and know it in its depth and riches. Thank you that you have shown us that, Jesus, you needed to ascend and take your place on the throne. May that be a picture that is seared into our hearts and minds. We pray, O oh God, that we would know the relevance of your resurrection and your ascension, Jesus, that you are now the king who has claimed victory and who rules all the universe. And we thank you that we can be right there with you and that you are right here with us so that we can carry on your work. Help us to be able to even speak about you tomorrow morning on Monday where we can say, yes, we went to church but perhaps even, yes, we encountered the living Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.